Welcome to Our Collective Childhoods, as expressed through the Disney Animated Cannonball, a <laughs> podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, watch the entirety of the Disney Animated Cannonball as ordained by space law. <laughs> I think they only call it the cannon, not the cannonball. That's an us, that's trademark us, Disney, you don't get that. Yeah, and today we're talking about 1992's Aladdin. <laughs> Which is scored inexorably into both of our brains because we are 90s children. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Specifically, we are 90s adolescents. Yeah. I, watching this, I had the powerful feeling, like, whenever I watch any of these, it's like, oh yeah, I know that there's some of these basic plot points and there's going to be this bit. But the weirdest thing is every single bit, like, remembering the lyrics to a song, I'm just like, oh yeah, the next bit will probably be this, but there might be something in between them. Nope, it's exactly this, exactly this, exactly this, exactly this. I have a very morbid fear that I could probably mostly reconstitute this movie scene by scene <laughs> if I had to. Um, I know there was a time in my life when I could have, because I did most of that. This, um, I, when this was in the cinemas... I loved it so much that I, I deliberately memorized as much of it as I could, because I couldn't afford to see it a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> but if I kept it in my brain... That's the thing when you're a kid, your brain's like a little sponge. <laughs> it is also uh, the first VHS tape I ever bought for myself with my own money that was actually, like, new from a shop. <laughs> we are getting a tiny bit ahead of ourselves in our normal right, structure, right, yes. though. Because... <laughs> Well, we've got we've gone straight on to talking about our relationships and not talked about the movie at all. <laughs> this is fantastic. This feels so dumb because I can't imagine needing to explain the plot of Aladdin. <laughs> like yeah, it's Aladdin. It's like it's it's clouds. It's 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 the background material. It kind of is. Like even <laughs> even if it's not even this version, like it's it's a fairy tale well known enough to uh, that like everybody surely knows the basic plot outline. Then the Disney version came along and, like, solidified, no, this is the version you're gonna know from now on. Yeah. Still, we did plot summarize Snow White, so why would we not plot summarize Aladdin? It is nonetheless time for the plot in 60 seconds, and it is Fox's turn. Oh, okay. Hmm, this could be a bit of a challenge on account of things actually happen in this movie. That's the trouble with the Renaissance. Shit happens. Your time starts now. Okay, there is an evil vizier whose name is Jafar, and he has been hunting out relics to help him find a magic lamp. To do this, he needs the help of a special chosen individual who turns out to be Aladdin. Some, you're going to hear the word street rat a lot in this movie, who is somehow destined for greatness because he's such a swell person. Aladdin is busy accidentally doing a meet-cute with a runaway princess, uh, but don't worry, we're going to interrupt that and throw him into the cave so he can fetch the lamp. 
which he does, but in the process is betrayed by Jafar and gets stuck there and frees the genie who grants him several wishes, the first of which is, I want to have a shot at the hot runaway princess. Uh, Talon is making hand gestures at me, but I never know what they mean. I wish he'd stop doing that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Aladdin and Jasmine do fall in love, but Aladdin has to learn the difficult lesson of actually not lying to people you hope to get into a relationship with, uh, and almost fails to do this because Jafar becomes an evil sorcerer who almost kills everyone, but at the last minute, Aladdin's quick wits save everyone, and, uh... After proving that he's learned his lesson, that he needs to be honest, he gets a happily ever after. It'll do. Uh, so yes, you went a touch over. <laughs> Interestingly, not so much of a touch over that your little diversion complaining about me giving you the signals for 30 <laughs> seconds, 20 seconds, and 10 seconds. Is that what that means? Stop doing that. <laughs> that I don't need that. I don't care how I'm doing. We're done when I'm done. That's what matters. <laughs> so what we're saying here is that Fox took it home in the overtime, but there were lots of penalty shootouts. Oh, please. <laughs> Fox took nothing home. So, uh, your relationship to this movie? Uh, well, uh, we'll just resume our previous conversation then, <laughs> won't we? Yes, uh, my brain is shaped in the way of this movie. Um, I have... I, at first, I started out with opinions about this movie and then realized that that's going to come up later in whatever land. So, yeah, um, no, this is not the place for that. I was in a cult when I saw this. Uh, once a year, we would, with my uh, father, like he would take one vacation a year and we would get in the car and we would do a trip down to meet basically my dad's friend. And that would mean one short period of time spent in Canberra with his brother um, and, and his family my cousins and then we would go down to melbourne to meet old church friends of my dad's which included some wonderfully colorful characters i'm sure i've mentioned them to you in the past but one of whom was a family that was shockingly normal in that they had <laughs> you know a, a pool and a caravan and conventional well-paying jobs and so what you mean is they were middle class <laughs> oh yeah they were middle class they, they you know and 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 you know i i never got the full story on like why they were such a special family member to family to my father but I remember that they were a, 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 a family where the two parents had separate groups of kids and they'd moved together and formed one family out of that. I don't know the specific oh, arrangements nice. and I don't want to like, you know, well, you know, there's a divorce or there was a, a widowing. I genuinely don't know. I it, It's lost to my memory. Um, but this family, despite having 20 year old kids, also had four year old kids. And oh, that's what Disney's for, baby. And so when we went down to visit them, I just very strongly remember going to see Aladdin in Melbourne in, I think, Knox City. And uh, just this amazing experience of, of, of like, uh, like it was such an alien experience to me because it was a mall I'd never been to. And like the part of my brain is like, no, there's one mall. It's the one up in Westfield. Uh, and so finding out that there were others in other cities just kind of blew my mind. Um, and so... I went and saw Aladdin, and to this day, I think it is the only movie I've ever watched with my father in the movie theater. Oh, truly? Yeah. My, my father <laughs> has incredible claustrophobia, which we didn't know until like five years ago. We always thought he was just antisocial, but it's just like going and sitting in a movie theater really upsets my dad, and he's never communicated that well with me. So didn't know it, but he sat through Aladdin, and then he put up with me. For the rest of my life, <laughs> quoting Aladdin. Oh, as if I haven't heard your dad quote Aladdin. Like, Robin Williams' genie is exactly the kind of character your dad would love, right? Mm -hmm, but also Iago, and also to an extent Jafar. 
I mean, let's be real. Every performance in this is fucking great. Yeah. Every, all the character animation in this is fucking great. Every song is a banger. This is a fantastic fucking movie uh, that just happens to dwell significantly behind the Yikes door. Mm-hmm. It, it, I seem to remember, seem to remember, I seem to remember discussing the idea of when it came to the animation in Rescuers Down Under as being boringly excellent. This whole movie <laughs> is boringly excellent. It's not. It's interestingly excellent. <laughs> the, one of my favorite things to do with this movie is to, uh, whenever the focus is on one particular character, check out everybody else who's in frame because they're all doing work as well. Like, mm. there is not a, a still second in this movie, like... You remember how Beauty and the Beast is, like, you know, it's universally beloved. Most people think it's the best Disney. Um, but it is ultimately kind of cheap. And when you're looking for it, you can see it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is when they went, ah, well, if we can make that good a movie while spending that much money, what if we just poured a shitload more into it and just did all the things all the time? There's a shot when Jasmine is being introduced. And in the foreground, there is the bird house ah yes <laughs> and you ha you didn't have to animate birds in that you could show us the bird house and know that we would get a closer look at it later and it's going to be blurred because it's in the foreground so you want to make it look like it's not in focus so you really didn't need to animate birds in there because what you were going to do is animate birds and then blur the shit out of it but they fucking did it anyway <laughs> we are not here to cut corners this time put another fountain in it's uh it, it is very impressive. Um, I love looking at this. It's so indulgent. And that's kind of chaining string to the double take, which is I'm you're very used to when you look back at things from your childhood going, oh, wow, this is actually quite crap. Uh, especially me as an aficionado of what I will you know, glibly say, boys media of the 80s and 90s. Like, oh, Lord, yes. <laughs> don't remember, girls shows and girls cartoons were also crap, but they were crap in a different way. Uh, 80s. Uh, and anything TV in the 80s was um, generally working on a shoestring and does not age well. Yeah, like, I loved Mask growing up, and I've gone back and looked at Mask and found that literally nothing in that show is good, and the opening theme <laughs> is, like, fractionally a banger. <laughs> a and, uh, no, look, I'll let you have the opening theme. Stupid lyrics, but fun, and but, that's what counts. But the original performance of it is also quite weak. It's oh, killer when you get someone okay. now to remix it and do a good <laughs> version of it. But the actual, like, so much of my childhood is made up of things that when you go back and look back on them, it is disappointing or sad or embarrassing. Um, some things that are occasionally trying to do something good, like Brave Star, it's still like, oh, wow, you thought this was anti-racist. <laughs> oh, yikes. Um, and sometimes it's just stuff that's like completely flat, like Mask. In this case, the, the double take I have here is, this movie is better than I remembered. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's really good. Like we, we're in the era of Disney stuff that just holds up because this is this is like the last games that came out on the SNES and the Mega Drive. Like, yeah, this is just 2D. Th this is pixel graphics looking as good as it will ever look. Like it's not like it won't be this good again, but like it, it doesn't get better. There's no it's, meaningful. We're here. To climb after no, this. we have arrived. We are at the zenith of a particular type of technology, and the tools that are being implemented into this, like the digital tools that are being brought into bear, are in some cases very nascent. Like the, the scene of the um, the lava and the Cave of Wonders chase on the um, 
oh, on, yeah, on that's the carpet. Fair, yeah. That's dodgy as hell, but you don't notice it. And all the natural cinematographic t- tricks they're using to pull your focus away from what they're using it for, which is to convey motion, means that you actually have to stop and look at it and go, oh, that is actually quite crap. You do, yeah. <laughs> but, but you're not doing that naturally. The movie is holding your attention the other way. Yeah, uh, it doesn't hurt that this is some of their, their best and snappiest storytelling. Uh, this is efficient. This is emotionally resonant. Resonant. This is efficient. This is emotionally resonant. This is it's delightful. It holds your attention. It's exciting all the way through. Mm-hmm. It does exactly what it means to do, and it does it great. Yep. Uh, since we're gonna double take a few things, I'll mention. Um. Uh. One thing that I'm sure everybody knows by now is the change of lyrics in Arabian Nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, our our opening number. Why is that the Yikes door slowly <laughs> creaking open? <laughs> Stage up for now. I uh, I will just say that this also framed part of my early relationship with this movie because I saw that in the cinema, and the next time I saw the movie, I was like, "That's wrong. I'm sure that's wrong." What did that line you? I can't remember what it did say, but I know it wasn't that, and I'm confident it's not that because it doesn't rhyme anymore. They. They broke the structure of the lines. And it turns out, yes, they did. <laughs> Is this one of those things where you had that kind of like light bulb moment of realizing, oh, people made this so people can change this? No, no, nothing like that. I mean, I we were teenagers at this point, right? 1992. Are we teenagers yet? 92. We were nine. We're only nine? Yes. Wow. You, you have such a warped vision of how mature you were as a child. I, to be fair, I was a pretty mature child. I don't say that as bragging. I think it worked against me in a lot of ways. I think the term they use is precocious, which means to say, why won't this kid shut up? (laughs) I was extremely precocious. (laughs) Like, if this is the year I was nine, this is the year that I was interviewed on an Australian morning show. Mm. uh, Because I had written several letters to publishers uh, expressing my ambition to be the youngest published uh, children's author of a, a full-length novel. Didn't work out that way. <laughs> this is also, by the way, around the same time that Lauren Faust was sending letters to Mattel, giving them ideas for new ponies, but if they used them, they had to send her free copies. <laughs> there is nothing wrong, as a child, with sending letters to companies demanding they respect you. <laughs> well, it was definitely the highlight of my nine-year-old life, but the point is... I I had plans at that age. Yep. <laughs> In many ways, I was a lot more concerned <laughs> with ambition then than I am now. Mm-hmm. You're you're much more grug-like now. <laughs> Reject capitalism. Become grug. <laughs> uh. Anyway, that was a little detour. The point is, I I I just wanted to mention that specific experience of being aware that it had been edited and really pissed off that I couldn't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. But I was so sure that it was changed. My other point on the double take is that, um, weirdly, the entire central core of this movie is something that I don't give a shit about. Like, I don't care about Aladdin and Jasmine. Like, sure, they'll get together, they seem nice. But for some reason, I love this movie, despite the fact that what makes up the bulk of this movie is stuff (laughs) I don't want to see. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who will fast forward through this movie for some reason. And I don't know what I'd be fast forwarding to. No, I don't know what you would be fast forwarding to. Like surely the point of this movie is to just indulge in it. Yeah. Because every bit of it, like all the component parts of it are so enjoyable. 
it's it's a really strange thing because I don't find Jasmine or Aladdin in any way compelling themselves, and their relationships just seem so simply destined. I'm like, yeah, yeah that'll happen, whatever. But nonetheless, as I say, I love this movie. I really do have a deep love of this movie. But also, I somehow don't care about the thing that makes up the bulk of this movie. <laughs> and that's just a very strange feeling. And I don't know how to reconcile that in a way that makes me sound sensible and doesn't make me sound like an extremely indecisive <laughs> asshole. <laughs> they don't They don't ever really sell the idea that they might not get together. Like, mm-hmm. it's at no point are you like, oh, I wonder if it'll work out for them. <laughs> like, mm. that's, that's not what you're here for, really. I mean, I definitely care about them, but that's because this is the first time I looked at a Disney film and I was like, Holy fuck, these two are hot. I am into both of these people. Mmm. Yeah, I mean, I, that's down in my whatever land, but it's a really horny movie, isn't it? Uh, well. Disney uh, horny. For Disney, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you say Disney horny, and I'm, I'm starting to think of like, oh, when did they shove a fat lady in a tiny skirt? But not that kind of horny. No. <laughs> you were just conventional kind of horny. Yeah, Um. we'll talk about that a little in the Yikes store too, but for now, I'll just leave it at like, this was the first time I was like, fuck. <clears throat> All right, then. Let's go. I have one more double take, uh, which is a thing that I genuinely had not realized until this today, 2021 viewing of the film, which is the, the time I was not worldly enough to recognize that at the very end, the Disney's I'm free at last was a reference to something. Thank God almighty, I am free at last. Something kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> and never since hearing that later in life. Did I connect it back to Robin Williams doing a bit in the climax of a feel-good Disney movie? Mm-hmm. Fuck. Do, do you know where I heard that sound of that a particular phrase used outside of this movie the first time? I think I do. It's in a Tism song, isn't Doug it? Doug Anthony All Stars. Oh, it's Doug Anthony All Stars. Good okay. intentions pave the road to hell. High ideals do the same. It's in Shangalang, and you hear in the background. Shangalang, that's the one. Yeah. It's, yeah. That, hi, super relatable podcast content. You see, in the <laughs> 80s, three funny dudes made a, made a, um, a comedy <laughs> troupe that now I'm deeply embarrassed by, and most of their songs I wouldn't play to a friend. Um, a uh, a comedy group Australian enough to be named the Doug Anthony All-Stars. <laughs> so I assume we have lost 90% of anyone right there. And uh, for those of you who are still left, hi, Pendix. <laughs> hi, Guru, maybe. <laughs> oh, dear. Not, not to say the Guru doesn't know who the Doug Anthony All-Stars are. D- oh, Guru no. is why I know who the yeah, Doug Anthony absolutely. All-Stars are. I just don't think Guru necessarily I, I wants to I assume he's not, like, Disney yeah. is not his thing. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <sighs> now, uh, that said, I don't think I can keep the Yikes door held shut any longer. Yeah. Uh, it's swinging open. Okay, um... I want to be real quick on this, because the fundamental nature of this movie, the water this fish swims in, is Orientalism. So, sitting here and going, well, this is bad, and this is bad, and this is bad, it, it, it doesn't... <laughs> for a start, that makes it look like it's a set of distinctive actions. Yeah, it would take forever to note everything that is problematic about this incredibly white person movie made about brown people. Yeah, and, and like, or- Orientalism, the book by Edward Said, practically describes this movie. It doesn't actually do it. It predates the movie by, like, 14 years. But the point is that this movie is down to its soul a white person movie about white society and white culture yeah. that thinks it has to do it through the lens. Like it thinks, well, this is what the Arabian culture is like. like no, this is British culture. 
you know, only prin- princes can only marry other nobles. Like, that's British. And yeah, so, like, I don't think it's helpful to necessarily sit here and going, oh, wow, it's really yikesy that all these characters are, are voiced by white people, because like, it is, but also, duh! <laughs> <laughs> Among the many things. It would be quicker to know the things that aren't yikesy about it. Like, uh, unusually for a, a movie about people of color made by white people, uh, they didn't color code the villains darker skinned than the heroes. Yep. That's actually quite unusual. Uh-huh. Now, I don't think this was a conscious choice that they made to address a problematic uh, habit in movie making. I think it was just a coincidence. His accent? Which one? <laughs> well, normally, one would point to the way that Arabian people are depicted. I say Arabian as a blanket term here. Uh, Arabian people are depicted in media of this sort. You do get that sort of swarthy accent, or you get the I'm British. And the thing is, both the Sultan and Jafar have British accents. Weirdly, Jafar's voice actor isn't British. He's from Cleveland. Is it? Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, that, and that creates this interesting question of like, oh, the affect means this, that, 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 and, and like, that's a great thing for a whole university paper on, but not a fun podcast topic. <laughs> well, I mean, he, we can assume in this case he's British because he is uh, also uh, a, a, a slinky fop villain. Oh, yes. And like the imagery of the snake and the serpent, which again, yeah, yeah. very Christian imagery asserted over it's very non-Christian cultures. This is actually something from the double take, which almost belongs in the Yikes store, but really belongs in whatever land. But I'm going to drop it here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I never noticed that Genie's line in Friend Like Me is here to answer all your midday prayers. Oh yeah, never caught that until people made a note of it in the live action uh, uh-huh. remake. I always thought that was midnight prayers because that's a thing I knew Catholics did. And it's just like one of the very few nods this movie has towards actual Muslim things. I'm disappointed I never noticed at the time I would have learned something. I always heard it as deepest. Mm. But, uh, I mean, Robin Williams goes at 100 miles an hour when he's doing the songs in this movie, so it's easy to miss some lines. Yep. Like, uh, for example, I did know what Baklava was, but I still didn't notice that. Yeah. Either. Jeez. <laughs> That's all I got for the Yikes store, because, like, it's it's permeating and obvious both the, the, um, the cultural tropes and the general low-key sexism that, like, also, product of its time. Yeah, 1992. I was nine. I, yeah, I don't... I still don't think the sexism is all that prevalent in this movie. It's disappointing that the only thing they could come up with for Jasmine to do uh, through the climax of the movie was the one bit that that evoked, you know... uh, Other tropes. Yeah, other tropes. That's a good way to phrase it. Um, But, like, there was a lot of complaint made of, like, oh, how naive she is, and, oh, she's gonna become queen, but she doesn't even know that you need money to buy things, and, like... I feel like those are fairly hollow fucking criticisms. I don't need a backstory for her where she's, you know, studying to be an economist so she can fix the kingdom. I don't think that's necessary shit. I was about to say the exact same thing. And I'm just thinking, like, is it because the word becoming an economist is one of just the most inherently funny things to imagine a character <laughs> doing in a movie? Well, they put something like that in the... Oh, no. The remake, did they not? Where they tried to, like, you know, convince people that she was actually you know, intending to become a good queen and, and actually, you know, run the kingdom and stuff. Oh no. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Oh no. Yeah. I. It's not that that's wrong, it's just that it's unnecessary. Because it, it's very, very much Aladdin story. Uh, that's kind of my main thesis for this film, in fact. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. So, we close the yikes door here. N- not 
briefly because it does not deserve it, but rather acknowledging the scope of the problem is beyond our ability to even examine. Ask Muslim scholars, go talk to people who actually like belong to these affected cultures and look for their pieces on Disney, because like what what do we know? God damn. <laughs> on to the animation and making part, where there is going to be some surprises. <laughs> is there? <laughs> I mean, you're the one who called it boringly excellent before. Oh yeah, but 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 okay. So we've been following various different subplots in the making department of this we franchise have. that we call Disney, right? We had events like the bomb going off in Fox and the Hound, and the ongoing brawl between Disney and Milt Carl throughout that period, and the invention of the technology that wound up, you know, progressing all the way to Pixar's devices here. The horrifying carnage of the Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. And last movie we looked at, Reading the Beast, we talked about the very sad uh, story that was the culmination of Howard Ashman's career and life. Right. Ashman, who also featured prominently uh, in the, the pre-credits mm-hmm. for this movie. This movie's music team is credited as um, Alan Menken, Howard Ashman, and Alan Menken and Tim Rice. So... This movie originally started out in two parts. There was going to be two different movies and bits got chopped and changed together. What we got is a synthesis of the two and it did have to get approved by Katzenberg, but he was also literally like physically locked out of meetings. (laughs) Like Musker and Clements slammed the door when they saw him coming down and they locked it. And then they pretended they couldn't hear him while they talked about it. (laughs) Um, So... I think they wanted to avoid something happening like what happened with, with um, Black Cauldron, give or take 12 minutes. So... Well, this was also the guy who who uh, was fighting the idea that the Little Mermaid should exist, right? Because Yeah. Like, oh, fuck this whole musical thing, whatever. Yeah. Fewer princesses also. Now, what that means is because the production of this was so long, because parts of it were being made beforehand, that means there are three songs in this movie that are Howard Ashman. Because Howard Ashman loved Aladdin. When he heard that they were doing an Aladdin... He was like, oh, cool, you're doing an Aladdin. Well, I will bang out a multi-page outline <laughs> and the lyrics to one of the songs oh, dang. as I submit my letter to Disney saying, hey, could I work on this with you in one day? And that song made it into the movie. I guess which song? I feel like it's got to be Friend Like Me or One Jump Ahead. Talon's made a face, so I know it's one of the two of them. I'm going to stick with Friend Like Me, I yeah. think, because it's the most distinct in style from yeah. the other ones. He, 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 he sketched out the outline of Friend Like Me, which apparently did get heavily changed because Robin Williams got involved. I, but yeah. like, <laughs> He did a lot of ad-lib in that, you don't no, say. You don't say. <laughs> um, and Prince Ali and the Arabian Night song. They're all Howard, uh, um, Howard Ashman. Musker and Clements were your directorial team. Oh, look, it's the guys who are owning everything at this point, continuing to be great. I wonder if they'll write a love song that wins an Oscar. Mm. Oops. And now, the voice talent... Because this is where I learned something I didn't know. I can't actually remember. Did they win an Oscar for whole new... I assume they did. They won a Grammy. Everyone. I don't know. Anyway. Look, if TV has taught me anything, Grammys don't matter. (laughs) Well, it would say that. It's TV. (laughs) So I thought for the longest time that Jeremy Irons was Jafar. I did for many years as well. But at some point I did my research and I learned that it was not, in fact. I also thought Iago... Was uh, was Danny DeVito for the longest time. Uh, probably because I, I didn't know who Gilbert Godfrey was before that point. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Jafar is uh, a Jason Lee? Is... 
Jonathan Freeman. Definitely one of those, oh, who kind of names. Yeah, I remember the J name. Mm -hmm. Now, here are some other things I did not know. I did not know that Aladdin has two voice actors, one for speaking and one for singing. That I did not know until you mentioned it here. I know his speaking voice is Scott Wiener, because... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wiener. Brad Kane is his singing voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jasmine has a separate singing and speaking voice, which means that Leia Salonga, a Filipina lady who is her singing voice <laughs> actress, is the only non-white person I could find in the credits. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I did know that, because I've seen making up clips specifically from the performance of Whole New World. And I was like, that's... Not a white lady. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the the lady I saw in the magazines credited with doing her voice. Whereas with Aladdin's actors, you can't really tell the difference at a glance. No, they're both very generic looking men. Which is not a complaint. I'm sure you're fine. Well, Scott Wiener was a full house guy at the time. So he was like... Yeah. Targeted. Generic teenager. Well, not teenager. I'm sure he's a young adult playing a teenager, but... Mm -hmm. That's not the point. Robin Williams gets a singing voice. Or really? rather, there's a voice actor who sings one of Robin Williams' parts and Robin Williams doesn't. Huh. Which is the merchant. That's a huge surprise to me. Yeah, the, the merchant is a guy called Bruce Adler, who was a Broadway fixture, old style kind of stage performer, who just happened to provide that voice for that song and that's it. But Robin Williams was doing the merchant's speaking voice, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And also all of his other stuff. Yeah, no, sure. I just, I, I, um, it's interesting because I was going to make a note of like, wow, he goes hard on that opening number. Actually, I'm kind of impressed he could do that, that uh, accent for that. Well, he couldn't, I guess. Apparently he didn't. <laughs> Still. Maybe he could have, but he didn't. <laughs> I mean, the accent itself is also something dwelling mightily behind the Yikes door. Yeah. And then we have a sort of power trio of voice acting names I wanted to shout out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I know one of them for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I believe I know two of them for sure. So let's see if I can I can pick this triad. Uh, because that is definitely uh, Frank, the horse from Beauty and the Beast, Welker, being Abu, and I'm pretty sure Raja. Yes. Yeah. And the Cave of Wonders. And the Cave... <laughs> oh, that's... I could see Megatron every time. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to see the Cave of Wonders every time I see Megatron. That would be funnier. I still function. <laughs> All right. Uh and and the the head of the guards whose name I believe is Razul uh is fuck. <laughs> Why has his name deserted me? Is it everything? Jim Cummings? Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, so who's who's your number 3 in the holy trinity of 90s voice actors who went everywhere? Ah. Uh... And who else could he be at this point? Surely we've named every major character who gets a voiced line. Well, we sort of have. And I don't... I think the Sultan has a, a, a individual part. But, I mean, it's... it's uh, It would be David Ogden Steers for this era of Disney, wouldn't it? No. No. No, no not just Disney. My friend. Oh, not just Disney. Okay, Um, hang on. Um... Uh, big guy, three names. <laughs> no, not KMR. Not no. KMR, okay. <laughs> not KMR, not Kevin, uh, or, 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 um... I know big guy, three names, describes a surprising amount of voice actors. <laughs> yes, not Kevin Michael Richardson, who is the one you're the graphic for. No, Charlie Adler. Oh, Charlie Adler's in this. This movie is the first time so far we have had Jim Cummings, Frank Welker, and Charlie Adler in the same voice cast for Disney. And if you put those three names into IMDb, if you're my age, you'll be like, oh... Oh, 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 oh. Oh, the voices of my childhood. Yeah. 
So uh, who was he? Was he wasn't the Sultan? Was he? He was bit parts. Gazim. Ah, a humble. He had to slit a few throats, but he uh, got yeah. there. Yeah, Gazim does the work. Charlie Adler, Jim Cummings, and Frank Welker also worked together on Planescape Torment. Of course they did. <laughs> Adler was the skull, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He was Mort. So yeah, that's that's just something that I was really surprised and, and, and pleased to know about because these three people are like just enduring voice actors. They are very good at what they do and, you know, just deserve special mention that, hey, look, Disney's paying these three guys now, I guess. And I'll say it again, every voice performance in this is superb. Um, yeah. There's not a one of them that I would have done differently with, aside from asking white guys to put on stereotypical Arab accents. Yeah. Like, it would have been great if we could have gotten a bunch of, say, Arabian or Egyptian or... Well, yes, okay, that I would have done differently. I wouldn't have have, uh, uh, whitewashed the entire cast. And and then you see that whole invisible thing of the Orientalism, which is, you know, what's the problem here? Oh, the problem is everything. (laughs) I mean, as a director or as an actor, I feel like they did everything right. Yeah. Casting, that's a different story. Yeah. Side note, they could have had Ben Kinsley. Anyway. Damn! (laughs) I mentioned before that the storytelling in this is really efficient, and I stand by that, but in particular, I wanted to call out just the very opening, within the framing device, the very first scene of the movie, where, like, technically we're in the middle of something, there is a shitload of information active in this scene that we don't have, and the movie correctly notices that we don't fucking need it. Yeah. We don't need to know about any of this shit. We don't need to know why the scarab is magic. We don't need to know the relationship between... None of that matters. And, like, I I wanted to highlight this and, and give it specific praise because it's the kind of bullshit that uh, lesser commentators on the genre think is a plot hole. Mm. So I, I guess I just wanted to put a pin here and emphasize that, like, the plot hole doesn't mean... Any information that the movie doesn't tell you that could hypothetically exist. This is good storytelling, not the other way around. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that brings up my Hamlet and Hang Gliders kind of conversation. Which is, yeah, hey, there were different things that could be done differently if this was a different genre, but they aren't necessary for the service of this story at all. Not even in in, uh, service of a genre, so much as just like there are always... Things that you need to know in a story and things that would just complicate things. Things that would just bog you down. If this were epic fantasy, yes, I would want it to open by describing a rolling hills of this exceptional location and give me a sense of the scope and pace of these things. But that would be a book. I would. Yeah, sure, but do you like epic fantasy? (laughs) (laughs) She's giving me a very soul-searching look I guess not. (laughs) So... With that, I think the next thing is the question of the grand thesis. And I have, like, a note here, and, like, I've got bullet points, and it's all very flaccid, just because, like, well, yeah, that's exactly what the movie says its grand thesis is. <laughs> but I do have a backup, and it's much more interesting now that I'm looking at it. Uh, I, too, have something that's not really a grand thesis, but uh, I feel a lens worth uh, looking at this movie through. Would you like to go first, or shall I? All right. So, either we all talk like the genie, or the genie talks like an extremely meme shitlord. <laughs> As in, we in real life? Yes. Oh, yeah. 
In real life, the millennial generation, the online groupings, the kind of people who use emojis and who use reaction gifs, we all talk like the genie. Oh my god, the genie's transformations are essentially reaction gifs, aren't they? Yes. That's beautiful. And and it's the exact mode of communication that if you look ten years before the the um publication of this movie, there were linguists sitting around talking about how, well, human communication is like there's some fundamental building blocks of meaning, and all of our language that we're building onto it is all like, you know, trying to uh, you know, control access to that. And in fact, there is actually a very simple way of communicating, and it's not this like purely contextual mess. And in 1991, Star Trek did a episode called Damok and Jalada Tanagra, which is an episode about an alien culture who communicate entirely through mimetic references to their own culture, which means it's very hard for the universal translator to work on them, and the characters are always expressing themselves in these phrases that sound extremely cryptic. And that all sounded, oh, like fanciful science fiction, and then 2010 <laughs> happened, and I'm surprised Pikachu face. Oh, that's beautiful. Like, I mean, when we talk to our nephews especially, we do just say a meme, which is meant to convey the meaning of, like, I'm devastated by that, but in a funny way that's not meant to be taken seriously. Yeah. And we just abbreviate by giving the name of an image. And that's how Genie communicates. And I'm not saying Genie in 1992 kind of just like set all the millennials on a path. <laughs> but, well. but I know full well there is a bunch of my sense of humor that directly relates to the way Genie talks and the things Genie makes funny jokes about. Even his comic timing and that is something fundamental to me that makes it very easy to look at other people who tell jokes the way I tell them and go, hang on, is there a causal link here? I don't think it's an exaggeration to to suggest that this movie had that much of an impact on our generation. Like, I don't know anyone who hasn't seen this, and I don't know anyone who hasn't appropriated some part of its dialogue. Like, I still say, like, you know, he can be taught. Yeah. That's... I don't think that's ever been from anything else. That's just a thing the genie said one time. It didn't even have a particular impact. It was it was just a thing. How often have you heard me say, I've done enough damage around this popsicle stand? That's true. We don't have popsicle stands. What the fuck is a we popsicle do, stand? You will never hear the word popsicle in Australia. It does not exist. And yet it's been part of my language since then. Yeah, not wrong. So essentially what I'm saying is it is an interesting gem of the way that one person was able to express himself with a multimedia million dollar company backing up every single joke with an animated, <laughs> you know, specifically <laughs> tailored image for him. And now, thanks to the democratization of the internet and the mass distribution of media channels, we all, when given the opportunity to, tend to do that. And that's incredible. That is pretty cool and amazing. And also... I stopped teaching my class on memes last week. Boy, howdy, this would have been a great revelation to have before then. <laughs> hey, everyone, we're watching Aladdin for the last class. What? <laughs> All right, you want to hear my fucking galaxy brain take here? Go for it. Uh, Aladdin is actually a Disney princess. Like, it, for starters, being the hero of this story at all, because this is a Disney princess movie, just it's about a guy this time. But he has exactly that same arc. He has an animal companion as his only friend. Uh, he is uh, transported into a situation that downplays his worth, but 
really the universe knows he's a better person than the position life has put him in. He's got all the Disney princess shit going on except the arranged marriage. It's, uh, I, I really think that part of the reason this movie works is because they, they transported the Disney princess formula to a dude. <laughs> yeah, like structurally it works. Um, complete with the I have no power, but my best magical friend does. Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing that happened with. Well, I mean, it also happened with Merlin, but Merlin sucks, so fuck Merlin. <laughs> um, but it also happened with the princesses. Sorry, with um, with the Sleeping Beauty and her fairies, fairy godmothers. Yeah. yeah, just interesting. Yeah, you're right. It, it is the model <laughs> transformed. Like I'm not going anywhere with this. I just thought it was kind of neat and funny, and uh, it also like I got onto this angle because I was starting the, from the position of like. God, Disney princesses have been Disney princes have been boring nobodies. Like you remember the Little Mermaid? I was astonished to discover Eric actually had a personality. Yeah, not a super strong personality, but like a personality. And then along comes Aladdin, who is like a world of difference. He's so much more expressive than all these guys. He has so much more emotion going on. Mm-hmm. He has an "I want" song. He has an "I want" song. <laughs> actually. That, ooh, that's a really good point. Like, he, the, the other Disney princesses, the other Disney princes have had songs on occasion, but they've never had their own songs. They've only had romance duets. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm even more solidified in my point of view now. That is also, I believe, part of why the Renaissance succeeded so fucking hard. Because they did Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. But those were like super duper girl films, right? Like they they were not targeted at little boys, and like neither of those was any little boys uh, childhood movie. And I say that, of course, not including little boys who were not in fact boys and just wouldn't <laughs> be able to note that yet. Um, but like Aladdin and uh, spoilers, the next one really just broke that, you know gender ubiquity formula of like no this is for all children and it is your child's new favorite film just deal with it Mm, that's super interesting and i think that's a really good example of like the structural form that these disney movies we we assume that there is a structuralism to disney we talk about them as if there is a structure but we have just spent 31 movies (laughs) watching as that structure gets hammered out almost developed collapsed break fall apart, reform, and now we're on, like, the second movie to really use it. <laughs> that reminds me also, I owe you an apology for a couple of movies ago when I mentioned ineffectual Disney dads. Because yeah. the more I look at it, the more there are only a few of those, and it's only because they're at the start of the Renaissance that they seem to be a part of this pattern. <laughs> it's the Sultan, isn't it? We just think of everyone as, every Disney dad who sucks is effectively the Sultan. Uh, what's the Sultan and Maurice. Hmm. Like, it's, it's really those two, because I thought about, I thought of the next few Disney dads who are like, towering majestic figures of awesomeness, and like, oh no, this is wrong. This is definitely wrong. All right, I'm sorry. Maurice's wood chopping machine worked well <laughs> enough that Chip could pilot it to save the day. Mar- Maurice deserved better. <laughs> Justice for Maurice. I, I mean, that, they dealt with that talent that happened in the movie. Now, I, I bring up Aladdin being a a compelling, emotionally interesting, expressive, physically interesting uh, Disney dude for once in a fucking movie. Uh, And then I immediately feel kind of bad about that because here's the other thing. 
I know this starts an era of Disney's characters being particularly interesting to me because they look so different from their sort of Barbie and Kendall looking uh, previous characters. The classic Prince Charming. And and the girls too, like Ariel and Belle still have this very same facey, big forehead, cherub cheeks, tiny nose uh, kind of universal look to them. And compared to someone like Jasmine... She's a world of difference, and she's so much more interesting and appealing because of it. You, you can say hot. <laughs> she's wicked hot, and they both are. I think I established this. But here's the thing. It's, it's only because Disney finally started illustrating these characters who weren't white people. Yep. And they were like, well, we can't make them look like our existing cherub princess, Disney Marvel. And it, ah, uh, it cuts me up inside. <laughs> We've been in the Yikes store all this time, Dallin, and it yeah. was never closed. Yeah. See, see, we're gonna, this is going to come up again with It's Mulan. just going to come it's... up again with Pocahontas. This is going to come up again with Hunchback. This is the upsetting undertone of my glorious experience with the Disney Renaissance, because these characters only came about as, as an embodiment of these problematic tropes of, like, women of colour being more self-possessed and more able to stand up for themselves and tougher and cooler and, ooh, even maybe a little bit more worldly and a little bit knowing about relationships. That's, that's all such fucking problematic stuff and just coincidentally it also makes these much better and more interesting and more attractive characters. It There is a related trope space where people of colour are often denied their own childhoods. Where, yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. Where Pocahontas, Mulan, Jasmine, they are all characters who are meant to be about the same age as Ariel and Belle. And indeed, Ariel, Belle, Jasmine all culminate their movies with a wedding despite the fact that they're like 16. Yeah. And... Despite that, Jasmine looks like a grown-ass adult, and Belle and Ariel look like teenagers. It's a little bit less awful for Esmeralda, because at least she's supposed to be a few years older, I think. Like, I think she's supposed to be an actual fucking adult. But yeah, particularly for uh, uh, Jasmine and uh, Pocahontas. Yeah. They're meant to be the same age. (laughs) They (laughs) present as... (laughs) no they're not (laughs) no they're not and that's the problem and i've recognized this and it's so upsetting because it's like everything i ever wanted out of a girl character in a disney movie but i only got it because you're allowed to do this stuff with non-white disney princesses that you're not allowed to do with the basic ass white ones and it's ah it's a fucking tragedy trust me the yikes door is gonna get a workout in coming episodes yeah look uh yeah so I guess this is just a little bookend to our opening uh, of the Ike store. Bringing it, bringing it full circle. <laughs> and uh, I feel like I'm going to do a lot of apologizing in the next few episodes for exactly how much I love these characters. <sighs> what I will say to that almost always is that if there's a character that speaks to you, if there's something about their story you love, if there's something about the way they look that you love, that is gold stolen from dragons. But when we're talking about a movie that costs 28 fucking million dollars to make, <laughs> they could afford to spend the time and money finding voice actors who could do better accents. I know, I know, I know. And I, I also need to be acutely aware that this character is everything I wanted in my kind of Disney princess uh, is all well and good. For, like, congratulations, you made a Native American main character who speaks to the soul of a white girl. <laughs> From Australia, like that's not a 
good thing. Yeah. And I recognize that. Though to be fair, when they tried to make something about Australia, they made us the angriest I think we've ever been. <laughs> so sick. <clears throat> anyway. Well, that was a bit heavy. Shall we shall we cruise these waters all the way down to whatever land? Sounds good to me. I see how many cards you've got in your hand. This is gonna be an easy one, oh. he says, scrolling down his lengthy list. <laughs> I can show you the world. My first note is, that song's kind of boring. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. It's exactly what it needs to be. Sure. Now, the bit where they cut the Sphinx's nose off is hack shit. (laughs) As in every movie that has ever featured the Sphinx. And it's always bullshit. Is it in Prince of Egypt? Almost. Surely, uh, uh, I don't know. Prince don't of Egypt know. is a bit more self-serious. It takes itself a lot more serious than uh, that. I don't know. It was in a Duckular episode. It's been ever- The first time I remember that coming up was in a book that we read in like second grade. <laughs> and just every time it came up since like, oh, it's, it's a bit where the Sphinx is not. Oh, oh, look, the Sphinx is. Oh, the Sphinx has a nose in this one. I wonder how long this is going to take. Asterix. Asterix, yep. <laughs> Been there, done that. Framing device narrator dude has only four fingers. A fact that I knew of, but had never actually gone back and looked at. Do you not know why? Yeah, it's Genie. Well, it's definitely hypothesized to be Genie anyway. I don't know if anyone's ever confirmed it. it but... It's been stated that he is Genie, but also in the expanded lore, uh, <laughs> in Return... Uh, sorry, in The Prince of Thieves... Genie meets that merchant, but also <laughs> Genie splits himself into two people at times. So, also in conclusion, Raven is spelt N E V A R backwards, and the word never. Uh, canon is for cops, <laughs> and the movie is fucking hilarious if you think of it as just being something the merchant made up to sell a shitty lamp. How many guards are they deploying to deal with the theft of one piece of bread? <laughs> oh, well, he's a one man rising crime. Tell him are you listening. <laughs> Iago's titles for Jafar include Your Evilness. <laughs> your Rottenness. <laughs> like, I appreciate the way this movie is so unvarnished about, yeah, he's evil. He's evilly evil evil. Yes, so mighty evil one. I can't do Gilbert Gottfried, all right? Cut me a break. No. We got some good old-fashioned nightmare fuel with the cave collapse. Ah, melting monkey. Stuff. The ground underneath you becoming lava. The ground disappearing and popping away as you deal with it. Like, I had nightmares about that for years. Not knowing which direction the little hand is going to point next time it pops up. <laughs> oh, you meant in the movie. Uh, uh, I can't decide if I'm more traumatized by the Game of Wonders or the Wildebeest Stampede as far as video game stages go. I would simply be good at the video games. I would simply cheat. <laughs> uh, in Friend Like Me, there is some honest-to-God Arabic on the pad. Ooh. I can't find what that means. Oh, no. So. Is it Honest to God Arabic or is it, is it Arabic.com? Well, that's the thing. I, I don't know. And if you do read Arabic, please <laughs> tell me. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I do, I do not foresee this going well. Let's, no, let's, let's maintain our, wait, no. There is no more optimism left for this film. No. We dealt with that earlier. We are all all inside the Yikes door, and every time we open it and step out, we're in another larger room inside its own Yikes door. (laughs) The Yikes door swallowed us and retreated into the earth, and now we (laughs) need Robin Williams to magic us out. (laughs) 
ding, 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 ding. Uh, all animals are dogs, especially huge, huge tigers. Yeah, Roger is a dog. Roger He's is definitely such a dog. A fucking dog. I have a note here, which is <clears throat> subversion. Abu is not a dog. Abu, like I can, I guess he's just a monkey because that's not how a dog is. But double subversion. <laughs> Once Abu turns into an elephant, Abu is a dog. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see that one coming. I think this is one of those, well, like one of these point zeros that everyone you know who knows the term charge lafers got it from this movie. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> it's basically someone who's in charge of making sure things get paid for. Oh, this it's... is one of those uh, words in Prince Ali that I never knew what it was, isn't it? You got a genie of charge lafers. Ah, right, right. It, it's, it's yeah. It's... Yeah, I learned a lot of shit from that song. <laughs> yeah. I picked up bona fide as well. Mm-hmm. Did you learn about how dancing elephants and genie and giant Disney ass are in everything <laughs> great? Apparently, oh, I already knew about that. This movie has one of its most 90s moments of Iago going, <laughs> not, not, oh, sick burn, bud, uh, yeah, got uh, him. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, for the most part, even though this is a very 90s film, it somehow doesn't date itself that badly. Until you hear Iago. Until you hear that line, that's so weird. Mm-hmm. And, um, the guards are active conspirators in league with Jafar. <laughs> Who murdered a royal national from another country. Yeah, you know they keep those specific guards around in the sequel movies and the TV series and everything. Like, it's still the same guy. And, like, if I were Aladdin at that point, (laughs) I'd be like, all right, look, when you were chasing me in the market, it was only good fun. (laughs) But you straight tried to assassinate me when you thought I was a foreign royal. You served Jafar. You worked for Jafar. Fuck you. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know how they've managed to keep their jobs. Really, really good guards union. (laughs) Some people would have gotten fucking fired, is all I'm saying. I mean, they kind of make a point of they're not married yet in the the sequel. Like, right at the end of the last Aladdin movie they made, they go, okay, now they're getting married. Yeah, and also, who fucking cares about the continuity of the Aladdin films and TV series? I'm sorry. Just... (laughs) I mean, just jump up my butt. I know the TV series might have been super important to you as an individual and given you your fetish for, let's say, Jonathan Brandis. Sorry. Man, there's a, a, a lot of depressing stuff in this this episode. You're, you don't need a fetish to crush on Jonathan Brandis. He's a normal guy. Now, the Aladdin TV show probably gave you fetishes for things like petrification. Oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. hot amnesia bandit Jasmine or... Mostly just those two. Probably quicksand? I bet there was quicksand. Yeah, well, as 90s kids, we grew up knowing that quicksand was going to try and kill us (laughs) one day. Quicksand is out for blood! Yeah, and it's everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, look, I don't know about you, but as far as I was concerned, and and everyone I knew who who had an opinion on this, they're getting married at the end of the movie anyway. That's why they're wearing special clothes. Yeah. And that's how Disney movies work. (laughs) In the last scene, they get married. Yeah, with the fireworks and everything. (laughs) Anyway, hey folks, want to talk about capitalism? Oh, that's right. I forgot all about capitalism. Mm-hmm. I already gave away how much this movie cost to make. You did, which is still not like that's a very small budget for Disney Renaissance. Um, now I believe they all just got bigger and bigger until Lion King. So I'm going to say it took more than Beauty and the Beast as well. Yeah. Uh, it has definitely done the numbers on home videos. <laughs> <laughs> This was a monster on VHS. Remember, I'm tracking box office take, not total profit. Because total profit is 
absurd and almost impossible to track and will include <laughs> things like Pizza Hut tie-ins. Sure, whatever. This is probably still the highest grossing animated film uh, until the next year. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this took the throne from Beauty and the Beast, which took the throne from Oliver and Company, and in turn the throne would be taken from it. Disney basically had a six-year stretch where... Five out of six things they did were the biggest thing of all time. I mean, there's a reason that that uh, the midpoint of the Renaissance, these films start to be disappointments, despite the fact that they were still, by all accounts, huge successes. Mm-hmm. But they failed to keep getting bigger at the same rate. It's, and suddenly that was the standard. It's very hard to do that, though. Yeah. No, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit hard. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the funniest thing is you, when you look into the politics of how it happened, you like you have two guys and another pair of two guys who have pretty much consistently just smashed it out of the park every time you've left them alone. Mm-hmm. And then you decide what we really need to do is make sure those two guys don't get to do what they want and the other two guys don't get to work with them. So whatever. <laughs> Hazard well. guesses to the box office. Uh, I, I can't dodge this any longer, did we? Can you remind me? what Beauty and the Beast made last week. Uh, well, last episode. Because uh, it, it's been a little while and I've forgotten. Hypothetically, I could. <laughs> You're not going to. I'm not okay. going to. Uh, uh, 200 million. 500 <laughs> million. <laughs> All right. Can you remember what uh, what Beauty and the Beast did from last time? Because now I really want to... Co- like, I want to know how reasonable my guess was based on the last movie. <laughs> Or if that was just like, BAM! I want to say I misguessed and Beauty and the Beast was like 300 or something. Well, Beauty and the Beast was 440. Oh, it was already 405. Okay, so I'm just misremembering last time. Yeah. All right, I revised my guess to be modestly more than Beauty and the Beast at 500 million. (laughs) (laughs) And is that your second wish? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think you'll find my first one was never an official wish. (laughs) Oh no, she got me! Ah! We'll escape from this yikes cave. <laughs> where are we going out of this yikes cave, Fox? Uh, we're, we're going where only the dizzying heights of the Disney Renaissance can take us. We are off to the Lion King. Oh, boy. <laughs> it can't get bigger forever, but it sure can get bigger for one more movie. And how. <laughs> and 